All right. Hello, everyone. This is Joe with Keeping Up With Joe, and today we're joined by our co-host, Sarah Avila. Ooh, hello. <laughs> so Sarah Avila, Avila and I were just, I don't know why I just called you Sarah Avila, but Sarah and I were, <laughs> were just catching up on kind of the week, and we're going to be doing a really cool podcast soon with Fab Giovanetti. I think I said that right. It's a, an Italian name, so don't get mad at me if I said it wrong. We'll have her say it the right way when we when we talk to her but yeah Sarah was just telling me something really interesting about how Instagram is thinking of or Instagram's on the verge on the route of getting rid of likes so Sarah could you explain that a little bit more of course (laughs) (laughs) let's get dark okay (laughs) so I'm sure you hear like about all the issues of people saying like oh man I don't have enough likes or like I think it's also an issue with young people who it's apparently hurting their self-esteem. It's like, oh, little Johnny over there next door is getting 20 likes and I'm only getting one. Uh, Hopefully, you know, people are getting more likes than that, but it doesn't really matter, does it? (laughs) That's the whole point. Um, So they are getting rid of it for some reason. So apparently this has already started in Canada. Um, And so I've heard that they basically turn off likes for the outside people to see but you know I can still see if I got 20 likes on my picture but people can't see if I got those 20 likes so there's the lack of comparison you're no longer saying like oh it's a it's a numbers game like I need to be better than her so I guess that's what we can say like they've done it in Canada I've heard they're gonna bring it to America and well we'll see Interesting. So as this is, I I read about this sometime a while ago, I just pulled up an article on Business Insider. And this is what it says. It says that the Instagram CEO, Adam Mosseri, another name, it's hard to say, announced Friday at Wired 25 that the platform will begin hiding like counts on posts this week. They say that we will make decisions that hurt the business if they help people's well-being and health. So I guess, it, like you, like Sarah's saying, it is largely to help people's well-being. One thing I'm wondering, though, is do you think that they're going to hide followers? Because I feel like the followers thing is the bigger issue than the likes thing. Yeah, so, like, I'll just diverge for, like, half a second. I was actually worried about this myself, being mm. in the entertainment industry, because um, there's so much heavily riding on Instagram right now. And there's actually jobs out there that say like, oh, you can't audition unless you have this many followers. Really? And so you, when you walk into the audition room, you have to write down how many followers you no have way. next to this. Yeah, next to your name in the sign-in sheet. And so I heard this and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what does this mean for me? Do I have to like, what am I doing? But I'm like, okay, so now that the likes are gone, that means that I assume you can still see followers. Yeah. And for me, if, you know, the following is so important, it's just right now I'm honestly just having to build a following more of like, because I'm worried that one day I won't be able to audition because I don't have 70,000 followers or something like that. Yeah, Like they want people with a lot of following. So to go back to you, like what you said, I... I don't know if they're going to get rid of following the following count, but I don't know. Like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is, are we comparing each other's followings? I don't know, but yeah, we'll see what happens with that part. 
Yeah, I think this is definitely a question we should ask Fab. So just for a little insight, Fab, who we're going to be interviewing in just a few moments here, so stick with us. Fab Giovanetti is a writer, a published author, marketing consultant, founder of the Creative Impact Group, and a professional sloth lover. For over eight years, she has helped people grow their online audience and monetize their content and unleash their potentials as creatives. So I feel like she's a great person to ask about this, this whole thing about likes and hiding likes, hiding falls, and how that's going to affect people. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Is it really affecting us that much as a society? Is, is this a good move for the company? You know, I hope people are actually positively affected by this, but it's also like super scary on a business side. Yeah. If people can only see that, like, I'm only getting, you know, I only have this much of a following. I don't know, like, what's this going to mean for, for the world? And I know maybe I'm just making it overly dramatic, but, you know, I work in an industry that's so just heavily weighted upon that. Mm, It's mm -hmm. just so scary, actually. I sound, I feel stupid and silly, (laughs) like, talking like that, but. No, it makes sense. I think, though, I have to say my two senses that, it probably won't have, it'll have some kind of an impact. And I think in some ways for the casual, the casual user, it might be a good thing because they might feel a little less judged or whatever. But I think for the people whose business more seriously relies on it, it will, it actually could help because if you think about it, not necessarily help, but it might not hurt them. Because if you think about podcasts, for example, there's not any, one thing that's kind of nice about podcasts is there's no public thing that tells you how many times podcast has been listened to. I think the only thing that comes close is that there are ratings on some platforms, but some platforms don't even have that. So the only way that you can know how many podcasts you have is by basically using um, an analytics tool and that there's, you can use that to basically, you know, how many downloads you're getting or how many plays you're getting, and you can use that to get advertisements and things like that. So I feel like influencers will probably just use, they'll probably have some kind of tool that will tell them how many followers they have and they'll just use that to get sponsors. Don't you think? I think this, uh, this isn't answering your question, I don't think, but, you know, this could be a good thing in the sense of someone saying like, oh, they seem like an interesting person and it's kind of like they don't see the numbers. So it it reminds me of The Voice, like the TV Mm. show where it's like, you know, with American Idol, you can judge people based on their appearance. Mm. And I think that's the whole point is like for The Voice, you're not seeing who they are so it's just judging on their specific voice so here if you can't see their numbers and you just see like oh this person has talent or you know they have something that i like then maybe they'll dig in deeper and not you know base it on a numbers game exactly up front and get to know the person like having to reach out and say like hey tell me about yourself. Like you can even tell me the numbers of what you're seeing. And I don't know, maybe it'll be a more personal approach. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, let's see what Fab thinks coming up in just a second. I 
I think one thing that would be really interesting to hear about, because, you know, our audience is mostly based here in the United States and we're all kind of in love with Europe in general. I, I was really in, I was really intrigued by the fact that you grew up in Italy. So maybe like what was what was that like growing up in Italy and how did, how did that transition to being in London? How was that different than you expected? I think there's something to be said about the Brits. And if any British person is listening, I love you. I live there. <laughs> I, <laughs> I still love you. You love me. That's great. But I have to say, um, it's just kind of that thing. It's because we're so close by. Um, there's that kind of element of like imagining every Italian person to walk around pizza in one hand and a pasta in the other is <laughs> such a fun misconception. And I find Brits really have that. I think loads of people have stereotypes, but the Brits, like they just have that. And I think uh, I, uh, I'm i saying with the deepest love for my country, I'm a very... Uh, I'm very hybrid when it comes to the way that I am. I'm Italian the way that I'm loud. Um, <laughs> but I always found that I had a great affinity with just kind of learning new things and like about new cultures. And somehow this the very weird British culture always... Um, fascinated me so I was I'm almost feeling like I was you know I'm Italian in every sense of the word but I always felt like for some things like constantly apologizing um for no reason um I found that I was very much drawn towards um what the UK is about and I come from a small town like probably a lot of people especially I think there's this misconception that if you say I'm from London or from the UK people imagine that literally everybody is living in London Mm. is that kind of thing like the UK is just a massive like cluster in London. It's not true, obviously, uh, but it's still different. There's still a lot more people are gravitating towards bigger cities. And I guess for you guys in the US, again, I'm I'm just speculating here, but I believe that you know it's more common to have big cities, but also loads of cities, loads of different areas. And Italy oh, yeah. is a bit more like that. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. Even if most people wouldn't know about smaller areas. So whenever I came to the UK, people were like, oh, so you came to London? I was like, no, I came to Bath, which is a very small, beautiful city. And I was there for two years on and off uh, before I moved to London. And now I'm in Surrey, which is further down in the suburbs. So I've been hopping in and out. And um, I naturally am drawn back to that slower pace of life that Mm -hmm. I've Mm -hmm. experienced as a child. Um, and I love London and I've lived there for probably now eight years I was there. Uh, maybe actually less, maybe seven, because then I was here where I'm now. And then before and I was in a very, very small, beautiful city called Bath. And that's kind of what I brought with me. So that element of actually a bit more of a village, of a kind of community, something that I loved from home. Um, and then every so often, as I say, I have these weird quirks of like constantly apologizing. And when I'm in, in the UK, everybody's down with it. If you go to Italy and you constantly apologize, yeah. you think you're insane. One thing that surprised me, and I shouldn't have been surprised because I've, I've heard this so many times, but when I was in London last time, I was really surprised by how quiet everyone is on the tube. <laughs> now that they look at each other in the eyes as well. Exactly. Yeah, those things, is like, it's like there's a secret meeting that you were not invited to. <laughs> <laughs> We have like a we have a few second rule here. Like you can look at somebody for a few seconds, but then you gotta look away. Otherwise, they think you're. <laughs> oh my gosh, that dating game must be tough over there. If you can't look at anyone. <laughs> I know, like the, the awkwardness is real. <laughs> I agree. I agree. From what I, from what I've noticed, there it was definitely very different kind of thing. Also, that that saying sorry thing. I accidentally I was on a train out to I can't remember. I think I was on a train out to Oxford or something from London. And I accidentally stepped on a girl's foot. Oh, <laughs> she was just sitting there, and I accidentally stepped on her foot, and she was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And I was like, 
oh i i just told her oh i'm sorry <laughs> like i'm the one who stepped on your foot <laughs> so. i know and you're like should i say should you say it's kind of funny when there's like a sorry off like a, yeah. you know and just everybody's like sorry 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 for about a good like five minutes and then at some point you stop and you're like i'm not sure what happened in the first place anymore that happens far too often <laughs> far too often <laughs> So how many how many business business ventures are you involved with right now, Fab? Because I've I've been I've been reading your book and I've uh, been reading some of your articles on Medium, of course. I think that's how I first came came across your work. And it seems like you're just doing a million things. So how, how many things are you involved with right now? I uh, so I'm a writer, as you rightfully said. I did write a book. That was my first book. And I also have writer on Medium, which I will be honest, if anybody literally listens to this and go and look, I've been neglecting it a bit, so bear with me. Um, but I think every writer has the same issue, like sometimes if you are spinning too many plates. But that's definitely my passion. Writing has been my passion for a long, long time, since I was 10. So we'll go way back when. Um, on top of that, my other passion and what I really understand and love studying, that's probably the best word, is marketing. So with that is mainly consulting one-to-one. Um, clients that can be other companies I've worked with, but also a lot of individuals. That's usually the people that I work with because I love working with smaller businesses that need help in marketing. And that's that pretty much the trade that I've been doing for 10 years. And with that, sometimes I also run workshops with uh, academies, colleges, or I do speaking gigs as well when it comes to the element. Um, and that's kind of like the core thing. And then the other thing, I guess, that I have is my company, which is called Creative Impact. And what we are, we are, as I said, a collective of people. So we're a collective of creatives who want to make a positive impact on other people and the planet. And we help these people by helping them grow their brand, sharing their stories, their storytelling via different types of content, and then scale their brands and businesses online through obviously creating their own products and services that they're happy and that they can grow. And that's what I've been doing for the past six years. And within Creative Impact, God knows how much stuff we have. We have a podcast ourselves. We have an award ceremony that we've been doing for five years. And we have courses and a membership as well. And we also have a digital magazine. So you could say that, yes, I have quite a few fingers and quite a few delicious pies. <laughs> um, I never any other way. And I find that in a way it all ties in with one of my passions, which is helping people making a bigger impact on others in the world. I just, um, I like to be able to give some people, I can I cannot do as much anymore, obviously the one-to-one, uh, but Creative Impact really allows me to do it at scale, which is what I want, helping as many people as possible by providing them what we know and what I've learned in so many years of trying and, and you know, and, and testing, which is fun for me. Bit of a nerd. It's interesting. And do you have any, like, partners or clients or any members of the, of the collective that are in the States, or is it mostly UK? UK, US, we have a couple of people and then a couple of people in Australia and then a couple of people in Europe. But it's kind of hard sometimes with the people in Europe because the UK is our biggest um, market still, mainly because we we were doing about 12 events a year up until two years ago. Now we're widening down because obviously we have so many people that want to be involved uh, outside of the UK and we just thought there's no point in us not having them because at the end of the day what we do mainly is online and the more we are going online because it's easier for me as well um, to be able to obviously help as many people as possible the more we're finding that people are coming to us who are not just um, UK based our partnerships are quite strongly based uh, on like internationally because we work with loads of in- cool platforms that can help creatives and a lot of them are in the US to be honest. 
I'm just looking at it. It has such a great aesthetic, the uh, creative impact um, on Instagram. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, it's gorgeous. So I noticed that I was listening to some of the, some of your podcasts and I was listening to one where you were talking about, <clears throat> to a content creator about influence and being an influencer. So one thing I've kind of, always, I've kind of been interested in it is what makes somebody an influencer? I, I had this idea, I think maybe because of something I read, I think via HubSpot or something like that, that people who are influencers aren't just the folks who have like a couple thousand followers or whatever, or a lot of followers on a different platform, but also the people who are creating content behind the scenes are also influencing. So in your in your opinion, are, are content creators uh, influencers as well? Or what does that look like? So my book, Make an Impact, I, the first part of the book is all about who influencers are and um, you know what do they do and what is their kind of key goal and what I say about um, but in my first you know part one of the book I talk about something called the history of influence because um, mm -hmm. as I said I'm a nerd I'm a guinea pig so I was like who are the influencers yeah you have a lot of, of notes and annotations in your book which is great <laughs> <laughs> like uh, just for people that don't have the book yet I wanted to know that from page 295, I have it on me, one copy of me here, from 295 to 306 is all the notes. I am very much academic when it comes to it, so there's so many different notes. It is insane. So, yeah, there's a lot of notes. Bibliography, hand notes is it's a lot. Um, but I believe that, you know, making sure that you take the time to, re to do the research and find interesting information that can support your theory is such a good thing when it comes to writing a book that mm. tries to go beyond your, just your personal experience. That's mm. kind of why it's so long. Um, and that probably part is actually one of the ones that has loads of uh, notes because I was trying to really, um, you know, like zero in on this. And what I realized is that the influences themselves are not... Uh, I actually talk about different types of influences because I don't believe that only the content creators are. They are the ones that we mostly in this day and age associate with influence, obviously, because of the way that we are consuming content and the way that we see people. Uh, what I call influences overall, just to give you a quick uh, run through, is the first ones are the social influences, which are these people. So these kind of like are the social media influencers and they can also be different types of creators. So anybody who is a creator becomes a social influencer in the book and also in my eyes. What it means is that basically they are using uh, their online platforms to harness the influencer scale. And that's where this is a very, very new type of influencer. But then you got the peer influencers. And then you can argue this can be, as you say, the people behind the scenes doing stuff. This can be most likely even just friends and family and people that are really passionate about something that either you created or that somebody else created. And these are very powerful. These are your current customers. These are the people that you currently know and the people that are actually aware on almost a personal level. Uh, I also argue that acquaintances are very powerful, even more than friends when it comes mm. to influences. It's kind of one of those funny things. And that, that wasn't me. There was actually a study that somebody else carried on and that said that literally people tend to trust more what acquaintances say rather than close friends or strangers because they feel there's enough detachment but also there's a level of connection it's kind of funny how it works and then the last people so social influencers and peer influencers obviously and then i got the brand champions which as a company are more obviously related to people that have a business or people that are in a business and these are usually people that are involved 
they are still somehow part of the team. But for bigger companies, you think more about the employees and people that are involved in something and they're uh, actively being able to uh, provide something of value to whatever you're working on. So when you look at it, you've got the strangers, you've got your friends, and then you've got your co-workers. And for that, you can argue that everybody can be an influencer in their own right. Um, mm. The choice they have is whether they're going to influence people in a positive or a negative way. Yeah, it's it's funny because something you said about people tend to trust acquaintances more than like friends or uh, strangers. I, I There's this TED talk, I'm not sure if you've heard it, but it's about kind of about how to spend your 20s, basically, or something like oh. that. Okay, and in, in there, she mentions that it's through your weak ties that you that all the opportunity comes. So it's like not just mm-hmm. uh, not just business opportunity. That's that's definitely one. A lot of your jobs will come through what she calls weak ties, which is basically your your friend of a friend or or maybe an acquaintance. Yeah. And a lot of your relationships will also come. So it won't be you might not it might not be like an episode of Friends where you date like Joey or whatever, but you'll you'll date <laughs> Joey's friend. You know, so it's an interesting concept for sure. It's interesting that it ties in with influence. Yeah, and I believe, as I said, it's just kind of reframing. And I think one of the things about the book is that a lot of people, especially the publisher at the time, it was just kind of like that understanding of who was it for. And obviously, it is a lot more about people that want to influence other people online. That's what the book is about. Uh, so we'll like you if we would like to if I said that it wasn't. But what I want to, what I wanted to at least give from the get go, was a basic understanding that yes these are the people that I'm talking to but they're not the only people that can influence you and especially as you say it's kind of funny because it the 20s oh those good times um <laughs> the time we all life when we just experiment a lot and obviously I believe we're still looking for some sort of support from the outside world and then at some point I don't know I'm just literally approaching my 30s so I mean who am I to talk but I feel like now I'm more like I'm much more streamlined than ever and I'm much more confident in my own decisions than ever. I still want to know how other people can help me, but there's a level of um, confidence and trust in myself that I definitely didn't have when I was 21. Oh yeah. I was, <laughs> I was, I was watching all these videos a couple years ago cause I was going through like a, a pretty big, uh, I was gonna say midlife crisis, but <laughs> a pretty big <laughs> quarter life crisis. So I was kind of watching these videos like, Oh man, what am I, what are my twenties about? What am I supposed to do? You know? Yeah. <laughs> So in regards to, I guess, social media influencers, something I've noticed, um, because I was a social media manager, and I would see like people from different countries, and I felt like um, different places had kind of a different vibe in the way, okay, specifically, like, I don't want to get please don't hate me world. Okay, so I would just (laughs) like, (laughs) I would see like, Indian, uh, bloggers who had like a completely different aesthetic than like people who are say from the UK or the US and like do you feel like different influencers are are different in different countries and or is everyone standing by this uh I guess streamlined like set of rules like oh this is xyz these are the uh steps to becoming an influencer or is it different like within you know, different places? Uh, short answer to this question, Sarah, is uh, definitely like there's different, there's massive difference when it comes to the cultural element of different countries. That's that's a short answer. Uh, the longer answer would be um, 
actually relates to the fact, to a really fun fact, if you want to put it as a fun fact, but uh, that influencers, again, doing quotation marks, don't like to be called influencers. Most influencers don't, because I think a lot of people are still having a really weird understanding of who influencers are. I wouldn't call myself an influencer in the in the that original sense of the word, but then I also realized that I influence people with my content. So I'm kind of like, I kind of am, but obviously what I am first and foremost, I'm a marketer and I'm a writer and obviously I'm a founder. So, um, you know, there's so many multi hyphen names you can put around yourself, but I find that the reason is that because influencers are such, um, an interesting ecosystem that constantly changes. And I think is not going to stop at the name itself that's the thing the name is really as you know semantics my best friends by the way again going even more dorky here i love semantics again like language graduate i guess but um, <laughs> so in a word we can put so much uh, stress in a word and so much meaning in a word and as soon as the meaning has a negative connotation like influencers does then so many people actually reject it even if they're called influencers by others they will be if you ask them what they are they will be like well i'm an instagrammer or i'm, a, I'm an actor or i am a, which some people are or i am a, <laughs> i don't know like i'm a presenter or I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a youtuber i'm a creator and influencer is still a word that really um a lot of people struggle with and they feel is really um you know it's kind of like a little bit stiff and it's just like constricting them so to me because of that there is not a cookie cutter experience of it not just within the, the countries but within the niches so even like i don't know fashion bloggers you still find that there's going to be different uh people that do the you know represent and then they kind of like uh share the content in a different way that other fashion bloggers and then if you do even the bigger leap and you go to different niches like writers, for example, you know, a writer can become an influencer in their own right. And then as a content creator, they're very different from, you know, uh, different writers will be different in different ways, not just because of the sub niche of their fiction or nonfiction. There are so many interesting layers when it comes to this. And I believe that the word influencer is going to keep on shifting and changing and probably adapting that I see it completely evolving, not just based on the countries and the culture and the niches, but also on the way that people perceive the word. Because if you don't want to be called an influencer, that is even less likely that you're going to be, um, you know, want to be associated like as one. So how can you do that? By almost finding new ways to share your content and to create products that represent you so that you can go away from just being an influencer. You can add another to a job title. Job titles are fascinating. I wrote a medium article about it because it's really fascinating to see how we again semantics how we attach a name to ourselves just to make it easy for other people to understand who we are and what we do um when i say people what i do like they used to need a graph because they were like what so what's that again and then what do you do again and now it's a bit simpler but um so you know i appreciate how that massively affects that is it making any sense or i went on a very really boring semantic rant here <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't boring at all no it was great um I I just noticed, uh, just like as a side note, I noticed that people specifically like in India, they would have like 60,000 followers and they would have like a very strange uh, aesthetic that was like different. Whereas here, it's so much more filtered and just, just belonging. So, I, you know, it, it's which they could have, you know, purchased their followers. I don't know. But we're, you know, I just find it so interesting the way that the world communicates 
in different ways and like this is what beautiful is here and like this is what we find is beautiful there like you know with the different looks of how people are I guess promoting themselves or you know putting themselves out there as I think like belonging changes massively and that feeling of belonging also means that you're going to try and you know be recognized for being somewhere in order to do that you need to make sure that you fit within what your people your group of people um whether it's your country or whatever is kind of like using as the norm so obviously if you want to fit within that group you need to make sure that you look like that group if that makes sense it's that kind of thing that i've seen a lot where it's like just if you want to belong you need to make sure that people can actually recognize you and that's kind of how as i said like you know fashion blogger is very different from a beauty blogger or people beauty bloggers now are doing a lot of um you know, IGTV videos on Instagram instead of doing long YouTube videos because that's what a lot of people are relating to. There's an element of always looking at what um, the audiences are like resonating with and then obviously making a part of that belonging of the community side of it. So speaking of community and belonging and also writing, writer influencers, uh, let's talk a little bit about Medium, if you don't mind. So Yeah, of course. <clears throat> so I've been, I've been on Medium for a little while. I actually founded a medium group on Facebook that grew to several thousand members. And then I ended up leaving it because it was too much work to manage it. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I'd like to know your thoughts on medium because you're pretty successful. I, I saw that you're a top writer and I think the business category, right? Yeah, I was also in a few more. <laughs> I'm going to be really humble again. Um, marketing, I think, in business or social media and business are the ones. Uh, again, I should know, but then you know how it is. It changes very quickly. Yeah, um, <laughs> social media, inspiration and business. These are the ones. Okay, so you're top writer in several categories. That's that's really hard to do. Uh, well, I've I spent a, quite a bit of time on Medium and I, I, I myself got a little frustrated with it because... <laughs> I found that there was a certain way I had to write in order to get A, curated. And then once I got curated, I could basically get published on any publication I wanted. Like, I, I think I had a lot of articles published in the startup. And that was cool because a lot of people got exposed to my writing who probably normally wouldn't. Um, and people would share it and stuff on social media. But I got a little frustrated with that that feeling of having to write for a particular it just felt like I had to write sort of the same thing over and over again. Has that been your experience or what are some strategies you do to keep it fresh on Medium while also uh, continuing to grow influence there? I love to talk about this kind of stuff. And obviously that's kind of where the the marketing brain comes in. And I love to talk about strategies and stuff. So what can I say with that? Uh, if anybody is a media writer and is listening, they're going to know exactly what I'm going to talk about. So bear with, because I'm not going to give you like some random um, kind of like advice that is like, this is the way that I made $1,000 a medium or whatever. And then you read it, it's fine, it's fine. If you know what you're clicking on, it's fine. But then you read it and you're like, okay, so you just were consistent and you were curated and you're like, great. So I appreciate that a lot of people are frustrated because of that. One of the things that I would say for me is always being medium has always been a way for me to write and get paid, which by the way, in one of my previous lives, a lot of the loads, um, I was um, a journalist. So being a journalist is actually part of what I've been doing. So as you can probably imagine, that also means that um, I've been used to write a lot for free. And I was also a blogger. So I was a blogger and a, and a journalist. And I've always been used to having to do a lot of work and getting very little recognition. So the fact that I can be somewhere, write and be passionate about it and get something back was as well as really helping people. One of the good things about Medium is that the community itself is very vocal. 
Like, I think they probably have the best clients in the world because the customers on media, which I'm obviously the members, are much more proactive than any other customers you will get. They're also very pissed off a lot more than probably others. <laughs> I will give you that. Um, but that I wanted to say because I thought it was kind of like an element that I wanted to um, reiterate of. I know that there is a lot of advice that kind of feels like a broken record. What I had as me personally, when it came to my luck, it wasn't luck. I won. I specialized, yes, in a couple of topics. And I will be honest, as I say, um, that's a key thing. And I still branch out a bit just to write out a bit more about things like inspirational stuff. But realistically speaking, marketing and business are the things that I write about the most. And that obviously helped because then people people will follow you, whatever you are, whether you're on social media, again, as a marketer, I help people with social media a lot, obviously, on top of other things. And, you know, people won't follow you just because you exist. They will follow you because you're providing them with value. If people know what to expect from your writing, then they will follow you. Obviously, the good thing about Medium is that a lot of people are prompted to follow you after they read a very in a deep, uh, you know, sorry, in-depth piece of your content, which makes things a bit different. But a lot of the time, people will just kind of have a look at what the catalog of your content is and be like, oh, at some point she might post something that can help me. That's an element of obviously being of value. And because people know exactly what they can find on, on, on my account really helps. They're like, okay, she's the person that talks in a very simple and plain English way about marketing stuff that otherwise will go way over my head. Yay! That I definitely found that it helped. So it was very, again, a guinea pig and a dork. And I really analyzed what people loved and where I got a lot of responses and questions. When I got questions, it meant that people wanted to know more and that helped me developing the content for them. And then something that you touched on that Joe, I 100% like relate to as i said to you i haven't posted in a week even if i have actually four posts ready to go i just literally couldn't even think about that because i'm going on holiday and i'm running two businesses and i need to leave everything before i come go on holiday and i realized that because i'm not feeling physically sick and i don't know if you ever had this like when you're like oh my god i need to post if i don't post i'm gonna lose this i'm not gonna get <laughs> curated you had that i guess oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I don't want to be trapped into this. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not the way I want to live my life. And I think that is actually what freed me so much when it comes to it. So part of my success comes from the fact that, as I said, I that's a mindset thing. That's probably the key mindset thing that I've done. I was like, I know that I make more revenue on Medium and I grow faster on Medium if I post consistently. Mm-hmm. But if I cannot for any reason, and I don't have a backlog because life I also know that I'm not going to lose my sleep over it because otherwise I'm going to hate going on the platform. It's something yeah. that Tom Kruger, you might know, um, wrote in an article recently and he wrote like, complaining on, about medium on medium is what is it going to bring you? And realistically speaking, I'm like, well, you know, you can just leave it. <laughs> if you don't like it, leave it. Obviously, having to work on your mindset helps because it means that you can, you know what you have to do. And if you don't do it for any reason, Instead of mulling over the fact that you didn't do it, <laughs> you uh, say, okay, for two weeks I've been a bit shit. Fine, I'm back on it now and it's okay. And it doesn't matter if I lost a bit of this or this slowed down. I know that I can pick it up. And that's the first thing. The second thing, as I said, is understanding your audience. That's very important. The audience that gets drawn to you, you can choose to either accept it <laughs> or you can change something about the content that you post. And then obviously will attract a different audience. I find that most of the people that follow me on Medium are people that either are really interested in marketing or a lot of people that are really interested in, you know, developing the writing business. That's what I find from the questions that I get. So I'm kind of trying to cater it for them. 
one thing that I would say that you mentioned as well, the working with really strong uh, publications helps. Uh, I and what I've done with it actually, that's a very bit of a curveball again because I'm not busy enough. But I write two columns: one for Better Marketing, who I love. Shout out to Nicholas, is great. And uh, one for the Bright Writer by Itzy. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. Lopez. And she's another obviously great writer and she has this publication called The Brave Writer and we came up with our column for them as well. So I have almost an appointment for myself, which means I need to write something like tomorrow. <laughs> Reminder. <laughs> um, to write a column. And that helps me massively. One, I can get ideas thrown at me by the users. So sometimes I get the users to ask me what they want to know about the specific topic, which helps. And two, the guys on the publications will give me a bit more ways to be known you know i'm on a special page in better marketing you'll find there's a page with the columns and i'm in there i have my little section in the in the navigation tab of the brave writer so there are really very simple ways that um you can kind of make sure they are on top of people's heads uh, to me columns work really well some people instead work on curation 24 7 mm. i understand that curation is changing and constantly changes it's like it's one of the products of medium's algorithm and the way that you know is obviously there are humans behind it but there's also a lot of algorithm involved and because i don't like algorithms i understand them and because of that i don't put emotional attachment to them mm-hmm. <laughs> um, i decided to almost like look out i mean i was really good i was doing really well and then at some point, it just went from 80% curation to 40%. And I was like, okay, I can try and change it because I know it really helps with my, um, uh, obviously, with views. Or I can try and find other ways that I can be still on top of people's minds and keep growing that loyal following from that. We could probably talk about, you and I could probably talk about Medium all day. I think Sarah would probably get a little bored. Yeah, but Sarah, has, <laughs> Sarah has a question from, we were talking before this, we, we caught up. And Sarah has a, a really interesting question. We'll probably end it with that because I know we're running towards the end. But Sarah, do you uh, do you want to bring up what we were talking about before the before this podcast? Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm sure you've probably heard that um, Instagram announced that they wanted to get rid of likes, and so you know, it's I can see my own likes, but people can't see um, that you, they can't see my likes that I've accumulated, so that. I'm no longer comparing myself to my neighbor or anything mm-hmm. like that. So um, do you feel that this whole issue is going to affect Instagram and how we see um, it's rumored. So I heard that it's in Canada right now um, and it's uh, potentially about to come to America. I don't know. What do you think the effects are going to be on I Good guess question. social media and yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Good question. Question for you now. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> How do you personally feel about it when you heard of it, obviously, and you kind of like started seeing and you know that it's starting to happen? What was your first thought? And then I'll tell you my answer. I What's guess going? I could say like gasp because I'm an actor model. I, you know, I'm a part of the entertainment industry and I just know that um, as I was talking with Joe about that now we have to, whenever um, I go into an audition in certain places, I have to say like how many followers, like I have to write down. And so it's heavily weighted on the industry that I work in. And so I was just frightened. I'm like, what does the future hold? And I own other a few other businesses. And I'm like, does this affect anything of like people, you know, say, thinking that I'm important in, or important enough, I guess. So mm-hmm. I, Okay, no, that's that's a very fair point, and thank you for that, and I appreciate that because obviously, 
you need to understand where you're where you are in your industry and like obviously the the way of uh, validation from others is massive isn't it because obviously we feel like we're constantly kind of like looking at how well we're performing based on other people and then we look at what other people are doing and then we compare ourselves isn't it yeah um I'm not really the comparing type person. I don't really care about the numbers, but I care about, you know, making money and being able to survive and Yeah, fair you know. enough. So um well one of the things that I can say when it comes to that then, uh, is um uh do you want the inspirational, very PC answer or do you want the real ugly truth? Tell me the ugliness. I can handle it. <laughs> So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Now, one thing that I would say is that definitely is a good thing. Like, in my opinion, it's a good thing. And it's a good way to be able to then, you know, like, look at other ways to engage with other people and engage with people that are with you on Instagram. And you don't have to necessarily um, obsess over one element. And for younger generations, especially who don't look at it as a, a tool, sometimes they look at it as literally a way of validation in their life because it's just the way, you know, that we are when we're younger. We're looking at ways to feel important and stuff like that it's going to be massively beneficial like for mental health reasons that's great however and this wasn't me actually not not to cop it out but somebody else mentioned it and so i also want to give them credit it wasn't me um somebody else on instagram made a point and i was talking to somebody in person god knows who he was but i don't remember but we were saying that um like it's it's nice to think that instagram is doing it because it really cares about your mental health Instagram is doing it because it allows a different ballpark and game when it comes to the engagement, the, the time they were going to spend online and also the amount of money that they're going to get is going to be spent on ads is going to be changing massively because of this change with the likes. So obviously brands are going to be using other ways like ads to be able to be seen online. It is what it is, but it's definitely something that a few people mentioned and it made me think. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. You know, brands are going to be more willing to, you know, invest more time and potentially money on the platform itself. It's going to become, you know, there's going to be new tools that are going to allow, you know, to work on the business to business level. That's kind of how I see it. And, uh, you know, it's going to be beneficial for us. But if you think that just Instagram one day woke up and, and Zuckerberg or whatever it was said, I need to make this difference because X, Y and Z. In, in there, whether it was the X or the Y or the Z, there was an element of how is going to be beneficial for our brand to grow our business. So once we accept that, which I have, um, so it's a business decision as much as it is a decision for the users, um, I see it as a positive thing. What is going to mean is that um, we are going to find a new, different, interesting way to um, uh engage and look at engagement so think about shares saves comments are going to become how we're going to be able as a bit brands and creatives to understand the level of engagement of our followers because obviously we want to know if followers love something because if they do then we can do more of it there's going to be less worry about what other people are doing which i think is going to be nice um but overall i would say that's what's going to change massively so instagram is going to try and really March on the business side of it in order to really change the way that people interact with it as a business. And the users are going to look at different ways to measure engagement um, because that's what potential part partners and sponsors are going to look for. How many sales have you got? How many shares have you got? Uh, which you can do, by the way, very easily and they can be tracked on your account. So it's, it's something that anybody can see on their own posts. How many people share them or save them? How many comments have you got? 
um, interactions are going to be much more important than likes um, and probably even followers. That's kind of how I see it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Fab. So, My pleasure. And again, thank you so much for, I haven't actually thanked you for coming on the show yet, but we're <laughs> really grateful for you joining us. It was awesome. Great information for everybody listening. Where can people find you online and what are some things they can look forward to uh, you coming out with soon? Thank you so much. So thank you so much, you guys, for uh, listening to my rants as well and my interesting <laughs> stories of my past lives. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being such kind hosts. Uh, it was a pleasure. When it comes to moi, um, you can find out more about me. So my website, it, <clears throat> it's fab, I need to spell it now, fab, G-I-O-V-A-N-E-T-T-I.com, fabgiovanetti.com. I'm sure you'll find everything in the show notes, but just in case. Um, and on Instagram or everywhere else online, I'm at fabgiovanetti, same thing, G-I-O-V-A-N-E-T-T-I. You can find more about us as a company at creativeimpact.group. We are releasing, uh, we're feed dripping uh, new release of our courses. So if you go to creativeimpact.group, you will be able to find our latest courses. And two of them that we released already are Instagram and social media marketing Bible. Uh, so you can find those two. And obviously there's also more info about our membership. And if you want to get more information and inspiration from us, I will definitely recommend checking our podcast. Uh, which you can find on the website and it's called make an impact show as well it's a great podcast i've listened to several episodes oh, myself really thank like you. it yeah. <laughs> thank you so okay. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. Great podcast. We learned about what it means to be an influencer, some helpful tips for writers and content creators, and even more stuff about Instagram and other things like that. Next podcast is going to be a little different, but also super cool. We are going to have a doctor of psychology talking about different and alternative methods to education, in particular homeschooling. So if that's right up your alley, make sure to tune in for the next podcast.